All right. How we doing, Flatirons? And let me just add mine uh, because I have cameras and microphone. Hey, happy Mother's Day to my mom in Tennessee. All right, so I, I get to do that. But happy Mother's Day to all you. Again, once again, let's give it up for the moms and the grandmas. And uh, it's so good. It's so good. But I, so my dad's a pastor, my grandpa's a pastor. When I was growing up, we'd, on Mother's Day, like in Sunday school, we'd make potted plants and we'd give them to our moms. And, and then in the main service, uh, they're like, okay, oldest mom, stand up. And the oldest mom is I'm 140, I got, you know, and it's like, and she had some cool name like Ida or Velma or something like that. And then we, then we used to go, okay, youngest mom. And then it got awkward. So it's like, hmm, <laughs> we don't do that anymore. So, <laughs> but even happy, happy Mother's Day. But hey, speaking of Mother's Day, uh, next weekend, uh, May 13th and 14th, we have our parenting conference and we've been, we've been talking about this. So moms and dads, or if you think you're gonna be a mom and dad, or, or maybe you have like, oversight of some little kids and, you, and you just, I just need some coaching. This parenting conference, is, it's just gonna be phenomenal. We're, we're investing a lot of time and a lot of money uh, for, because we think parenting is the most important thing going on. Uh, I think fatherhood and motherhood are the most important things going on in our country and one of our biggest broken things in, in our country. So this is how important this is to me, okay? Um, this is gonna be one of those things that uh, like 10 days from now, somebody's gonna tell you what happened at the parenting conference and you're gonna say, well, if I had known that, I would have gone. Well, that's what's gonna happen, okay? So do not miss this. I, and I, haven't, ta- I haven't talked to our CFO about this, but I'm, gonna, I'm, the, I'm the boss, so I'm gonna make this right now, okay? If you come to the parenting conference and you hate it, I didn't get anything out of it, I'll give you your money back. Wow, so are you real? I won't, the church will. <laughs> but I'm leading it right now, so I, I'm the boss. All right, so uh, I promise you, just go up and go on, this thing sucked, give me $25 back, and we will. Don't say, oh, I paid cash. No, Jesus knows, you're lying. Anyway, so, <laughs> hey, I gotta, I, let, me, let me get in this. I gotta, every time I leave the country, I come back weird, you know that, right? <laughs> so uh, today's no different. I, I come to you today with a, a really full heart. I just got back from the Holy Land. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a bucket list. I, 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 went, I went to the town where Jesus was raised, a little town on a hill called Nazareth, right? I, I, sw- I swam at midnight in the Sea of Galilee with a swimsuit on, all right, uh, that, that Jesus walked on. I mean, I swam in that. In that. I, I stood in the courtyard where Jesus was put on trial, and the Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. I was, I was there. I saw at a distance what's believed to be Calvary. It's actually in the Muslim section, so we couldn't go up to it, but where Jesus was crucified is actually a parking lot for buses now. I saw a tomb, and you know, I'm not sure if it's the tomb they put Jesus in, but you know what, it doesn't matter, because he's not there. He rose from the dead, right? He's not there, it doesn't matter. I, this is a moment, I stood, I stood on the beach, not a beach, the beach where Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you still love me? Three times he asked that. I saw a temple in the middle of Jerusalem where Peter launches the church and the first time he opened his mouth about Jesus, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. I was there. So I, I was asked, and yeah, I'll take you guys, and I will take as many of you as you want to go, but I've been asked and messaged and texted by so many of you and been emailed and asked the same question. Was it awesome? And I want to say this, yes and no. Yes, and it was so awesome to get more historical and geographical context of Jesus did that here. He said that there. This is what was going on when that happened. And you'll hear a lot about that over the next several months. You'll finally go like, can you stop talking about it? No, I can't, right? But so yes, it was awesome. No, in this way, I, I am overwhelmed that people will worship everything but Jesus. 
They will worship statues. They will worship Caesar. They will worship prophets. They'll worship Muhammad. They will worship saints. They'll worship the disciples. They will worship Jesus' mom, Mary. They'll build a cathedral over a holy site, like a rock or, or, or a place where somebody did something important, or we found somebody's bones from somebody allegedly famous in the Bible, and they will stick them in an altar in the front of a cathedral, and they'll worship those bones, believing that somehow those bones will give them special powers from God. Heck, I was in two different churches. They both claim to have the head of John the Baptist one of them's wrong. That's just math. <laughs> or it's a miracle. I, I didn't know he had two heads. But he did, uh, here's my point. Not to take away from the importance of the people that played a role in the building of, of Christ's church and spreading the gospel across the planet. But at one point, we're walking around Jerusalem. We're up on this hill overlooking Jerusalem. And it's the place where Jesus stopped on his way to the triumphal entrance. And, and he stopped and he wept over the city because he looked down this hill at the whole city and his heart was broken because they were just lost. And they were broken like a sheep without a shepherd. And as I was sitting there looking at this in a small way, a small way, I, I was able to relate to what he must have been feeling. And I wanted to shout out from the top of that hill, it's all emptiness, it's nothing. It's idolatry. You're worshiping the wrong things. Statues can't save you. Caesar couldn't save you. Muhammad can't save you. The saints can't save you. Rocks can't save you. Bones can't save you. Mary can't save you. Why? Because they're all dead. And their deaths, while they died for their faith and the most righteous of causes, did nothing in terms of accomplishing your salvation. Had nothing to do with you being saved. Only Jesus can save because Jesus is not dead. He has risen, he is alive, and he is king. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. King Jesus. And I, I know, I, listen, I, I just did a southern accent. I know, all right? <laughs> I know Ben talked about the, 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 the king, the role of king uh, of Jesus, but I don't think we can get enough of it. I think we've gotta push into this some more. So I started by saying today my, head, my heart is full, but I also need to say this, my mind and my heart are also convicted about what I'm gonna teach you today about King Jesus. I know this is what I'm supposed to, like sometimes I'm going, I, I think this is what I'm supposed to say, I know this is what I'm supposed to teach on today. Two weeks ago, I was in the middle of Rome in front of the, the Roman Senate, which made decisions and governed the entire world at one point. And I heard my professor, uh, Mark Moore, fantastic teacher. He taught what I'm about to teach you today. And then this past Wednesday, we took our entire staff, all of them, from janitors to kids ministry, everybody, we took them to a leadership conference in Atlanta. And in the opening talk, the, the teacher taught part of this message that I had already written, so this is not plagiarism. Okay, just want to be clear on that. So I'm not, I'm not plagiarizing, but here's, I, I believe that God does nothing in isolation. And when his spirit moves over there, his spirit moves over here. And over there, and over there, and over there, and over there, in very similar ways. And we look around going, this is a coincidence. No, it's the Spirit of God moving. And I believe he's calling his church, capital C Church, but that includes Flatirons, to pay attention and to get back to something that is really important that I, I think I have, and I think many of us have lost. And it's this, and just want to look at the kingship, the lordship, the authority of Jesus Christ. See, Christ, right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. Or middle name. And I don't know where that H came from in there. I don't, I don't know. All right. So that's a joke. All right. All right. It, it's his title. It's his title. And in the Hebrew, it's not Christ. It translates Messiah, which comes from God's name. And Messiah means this, God's anointed king who is sent to rule and to save. God's anointed what? King. King of the world. King of the universe. King of the Jews. King of us. 
He's king of everything. Okay, sidebar. So I got a tattoo in Jerusalem, all right? It's pretty, anyway, my mom. Happy Mother's Day, mom. But, um, so I got this tattoo, but I added one symbol down on my knuckle right there. After I, I, my, my, my tattoo artist, the tattoo parlor, it's awesome. It started in 1300. It's a 27th generation gave me my tattoo, 28. My wife got her first tat. Ah! I love her. Anyway, so, so Wasim Rafiq, he did this. And as we finished, we were talking about ink and stuff like that. And he had this little sign on his, on his finger. And I said, what's that? What does that mean? And Wasim told me this. He says that Muslims and Jews won't refer to Jesus as Christ, as Messiah, because of what it would mean if Jesus were Messiah. And they don't want him to be Messiah, so they call him Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus from the town of Nazareth. So this is an Arabic letter, noon. And it stands for Jesus the Nazarene. Here's why I had it put on there. It's also what ISIS spray painted on houses when they invaded all those countries and they would find the home of a Christian. They would spray paint th this symbol on the side of the house, state claiming that anything and everybody inside now belongs to, to Islam. And then they slaughtered them. So I got this put right here as a sign of solidarity for persecuted Christians around the world. My point is this. Muslims and Jews they understand the significance of, of Messiah, of the kingship of Jesus, more than we Christians do. They reject him. At least they have integrity. He's not their Messiah. He's not their king. But we Christians, we claim to call Jesus our king, but our behaviors betray us. And we reject Jesus as king as, as well. We're, we're in this series called Jesus Christ Superstore, right? And the idea is that we treat Jesus like a buffet line, picking and choosing and skipping the parts of Jesus that we like and don't like. That makes me feel good. I wanna avoid that. That's intrusive. That's inconvenient. I'm gonna skip over to the next entree, right? Here's the part of Jesus that gets skipped over on the Jesus buffet line more than any other dish, right? King Jesus, no thanks. Messiah, master, Lord, controller of my life and all the parts of my life. I surrender my plans, my hopes, my ideas, my freedom, my money, my possessions, my body, my sexuality, my marriage, my family, my children, all my life. He is king of it. I submit to him in absolute obedience. If he says move, I don't ask the destination, I just go. When he says something, I don't need an explanation, I just do it. Pass. That's too much. See, we want, we want Jesus the friend. We sing about that. We want Jesus the forgiver. That's awesome. We want Jesus the brother. We want Jesus the encourager. We want Jesus as our homeboy boyfriend in the sky. We want Jesus as our moral teacher. We want Jesus as insurance policy from hell. But Jesus as king and master and commander of all the parts of our lives, no thank you. Because the name Jesus as your king is to surrender control of everything to him to pledge allegiance to him and to forsake all other gods and kings because they cannot save you. And they, can't, they shouldn't be worshiped, only Jesus. The early Christians were not executed and crucified or thrown to wild beasts in arenas, and I saw, it saw where it happened. They, they weren't, that didn't happen to them because of their belief system or their songs or their theology about God. No, here's why. They quit the system of the world and rejected the politics of this world and said, we have no king but Jesus. And the word Christian, this is gonna make some of you mad, but do some research, all right? The first time they uttered the word Christian in Antioch, it wasn't a religious term when it was first uttered. It was a political party, the Christianos. 
Not the party of Caesar, not the party of Nero, not the party of Herod, not the party of the Pharisees. They are the party of Christ, the Messiah. They claim to have another king and obey him and not Caesar. And that's why the Romans executed Jesus and why they executed the Christianus because they rejected the world's rules and began to obey and live like their king. His name is Jesus. So I want to hang there for a while. So I'm going to give you the title of this message. It's not in your program. It's not on your app. Because if I would have given you the title of this message ahead of time, you wouldn't come to church. Right? right? You wouldn't come. And when I give it to you, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to get up and you're going to leave when I tell you the title of this sermon. And you're going to start kind of drafting your email to me between here and the parking lot of what you think I'm going to say. So how about this? All right? Let's make an agreement. You either leave now or you agree to stay all the way through the last song, which is better than anything I have to say. Okay, deal? So I'm saying, leave now or stay, right? And here, here it is. I'm so nervous, all right? The title of today's talk is this, The Politics of Jesus and Why His Church Must Become More Political in the Same Way. Now, everybody take a breath. It does not mean what you think it does, hope it does, or fear that it does. Some of you are going, oh, no. He's going to vote for Trump or something. No, no. <laughs> Shut up. Let me explain, okay? Look at this, all right? And this is new learning for me. This gives so much clarity, all right? By definition, if you're taking notes, write this down, right? By definition, there are four markers that make a person political, right? First one, they have to do whatever they do in public. A politician does it in secret. It has to be right out there in, in public, all right? It is known. Second, they have to have an agenda. A politician says, what says I want something specific to happen, right? Third thing is they have to have a group of... In, identifiable followers, right? Otherwise, they're, they're useless. And the, the other one is they must have power. It doesn't matter. If you don't have power, it doesn't matter if you have the best agenda or, or how many people follow you. Without power, you can't get anything done. Now, leave those up there. By this definition, was Jesus political? Absolutely. Did he do what he did in public? Yeah, yeah, I read the stories. He did it in the temple, in synagogues, in fields, in houses, beside the Sea of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, very public. The night that Jesus was arrested, he looked at the soldier and goes, why did you come to me in secret? I've done nothing in secret. I was right down there in the temple all day. Why didn't you have the guts to arrest me down there when I was doing everything out in the open? Did Jesus have an agenda? Absolutely. Your salvation, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. Pledge your allegiance to a new kingdom and a new king. Did he have a group of identifiable followers? Yeah, the disciples, the Christianos. Did he have power? Yeah. How about this? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am above all things, in all things, and all things hold together through me. I'm in charge. So what makes Jesus different than any other politician or king or emperor, or for that matter, anybody that's been elected in Denver or in Washington, D.C.? What makes Jesus different? And the answer is how he used his power. This makes Jesus different. All kings and all politicians use their power for one of two purposes, self-protection and self-promotion. Taking notes, this is good stuff, all right? And the way that they accomplish that is by one of two or both ways, violence and fear or manipulation and propaganda. Every, every king that you've ever heard of, every president, every governor, every politician uses their power to protect themselves, promote themselves, and enforce their agenda through manipulating fear or false and empty propaganda and promises. Am I right? Every one. 
Jesus is the only king in the history of kings who only used his power on behalf of the powerless. He's the only one. And then our king turns to his people and says, if, it's conditional here, if I am your king, then here is my command to you. Please hear that. Command. Kings don't ask because they're kings. They don't request. They don't suggest. Like, hey, I got an idea, right? No. It's, a, it's an ultimatum statement. It goes this. If I am your king, then follow me. As I have done for you, do for one another. You don't have to believe everything I said. You don't have to understand everything I taught. But if I am your king, you do have to follow me. You have to obey me. How much? In everything. And our response is, can we skip over that part of the buffet and get to the dessert, you know, where we're forgiven and get to go to a Disney castle in the sky after our funeral? That's what we signed up for. So I want to look, I want to look at one of the most political confrontations that we see the politics of Jesus in full swing. It's found in three different places in, in the Bible, but the three different places, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're almost word for word, right? So they got it right. The one we're going to look at is in the book of Luke. So as I read through this, look for key words or concepts like power, agenda, following, or, or, or public, okay? Luke chapter 20, if you have a Bible or you're, if you're on the app, okay? So this all happens in the temple. So the Pharisees have been watching them, the religious rulers, okay? Keeping a close watch on Jesus, they sent spies who, who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So whatever else is happening here, okay, the main agenda here is we want to catch Jesus saying something wrong against God or about Caesar and the government, and then we'll turn him into whatever power that he offends, and then they can get rid of him. That's the agenda here. I want to get rid of Jesus, okay? So the spies questioned him. Teacher, and you just got to read the tone of this, all right? We know that you speak and teach what's right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Time out. This is BS, right? They don't mean this at all. It's so sarcastic and cynical and patronizing, but they're going to ask him a question and it's not a religious question. It's a political one. Any way you look at it. Here's the question. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar, to the government or not? All right, now that's not a religious question. Taxes are political. Amen? Yeah, amen, we hate them. All right, all right. Is it right for us to pay taxes? Right. He saw through their duplicity, and, or like hypocrisy, and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. So history lesson, okay, right? Because I just been on a history lesson, all right? The coin that they reached in their pocket and showed to him was a Roman denarius, okay? It's a picture of Caesar Tiberius, all right, the emperor. And in Latin, were written the words, kind of abbreviated in Latin, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Tiberius, son of God, right? Now, this is what he says, okay? Looking at that? He said to them, then give back to Caesar what Caesar's, and to God, what is God's? Now, this is not, and I've heard this taught from preachers a lot of times, this is not about how good Christians should pay their taxes and tithe to their local church. This is not that, okay? This doesn't have anything close to what Jesus was talking about. He's not even talking about money. No, when he said, show me the coin, they reached in it. These priests reached in their pocket and pulled out a graven image, which breaks two of the first 10 commandments, right? 
But on that coin were the words that claim that Tiberius is God. They're in God's holy temple and they have blasphemy in their pocket. They're holding on to two worlds. They're trying to pick and choose whichever king, whichever God will serve them best in the moment. Sometimes we'll go with Caesar God. Sometimes we'll go with God God. This is not a teaching on paying taxes. Jesus is saying to us, divest yourself. Separate yourself from anyone or anything that's trying to claim for themselves what only belongs to God. You all follow me? You follow me? He said it over and over and over. No man, no woman can serve two masters. You can't have two kings in your life. You'll fail at both. So if you take, if you take Caesar's money, if you take the government's money, you will do the government's bidding. But there are some things that belong to God things that Caesar and the government have no voice or authority to speak into because they belong to God. So give to God what is God's and empty your pockets and give back to Caesar what's his. You have to choose. You can't have Caesar and God. They were busted the moment they pulled that coin out of their pocket and they knew, ah. So they were unable to trap him in what he said there in public and astonished by his answer, they became silent. They weren't done. A few days later, they executed him on a cross. But he didn't put this in there, but he didn't stay dead because God raised him from the dead three days later like he promised. And here's the result. Therefore, I love these verses. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, not Caesar, not, not president, whoever, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Messiah is king to the glory of God, the father. Where's Tiberius? He's dead. Where's Caesar? He's dead. Where's the greatest empire the world has ever seen? I saw it. It's in ruins. Where's Aristotle? Where's Socrates? They're dead. Where is Muhammad? Where is Moses? Where is David? Where is Abraham? They're dead. Where are all the 12 disciples? They're dead. Where is Mary, the mother of Jesus? She is dead. Where is Jesus? He is alive and seated at the right hand of God. Because Jesus, he is Messiah. He's God's anointed king. He's king of everything. And because Jesus is Messiah, he's, he's king. And while Jesus came to serve, and while Jesus is our friend and our, and our forgiver and, our, and, and, and he loves us, and while Jesus you know, has compassion and grace unending, all right, before and above all of that, please hear this. Jesus is Christ. He is Messiah. He's king. If those of us who wear his name, if Christianus, if we don't repent and rethink our relationship to Jesus, not just as savior, as good as that is, but submit to his kingship and under his authority, we will experience more of what we've experienced in the past. Caesar will continue to take more and more of what belongs to God. And we will, Christians, we will passively hand it over to the wrong king. We do it every day. I love this quote from Andy Stanley last week I heard in Atlanta. He says this, when we die, we don't go to Washington, D.C., and when your child gets sick, you don't call your congressman because they can't help you. Who do you call on? You call on your king. And Jesus' response will be love and compassion and he will jump into your life and he will help you. But he's also saying, I'll help you then because I love you, but I am your king. I'll help you then. Obey me now. Follow me now. And the most powerful weapon that Jesus used wasn't swords or armies or threats of violence. It was love. The Roman Empire that crucified Jesus on a cross, I just came back from Rome. There are more crosses on buildings than any other city in the world, and they did not see that coming. They didn't see it, but Jesus knew. Love is the only power that will change people and change this world. So what are some examples of, well, this is God's and, and this is Caesar's? And I can give you a bunch. And the things that belong to God are the headlines of our politics. 
marriage, gender, sexuality, parenting, money, they all belong to God. But I wanna give you just one. I got on the plane to come home. It was the headlines everywhere. It's making political headlines all over the world. Then when I tell you what I wanna talk about, I'm gonna have it ask. I'm gonna ask you not to show any outburst of support or objection when I say what I'm about to say, and you'll understand it in just a second, okay? So just shut up. I don't care how you feel about this. You, you, can, you can blast me later, in the, I'll be in the lobby. You can beat me up if you can, all right? So, all right. <laughs> I, got, I got people, though. So, anyway. Um. <laughs> you with me down there? Okay, all right, good. Um. Here we go. Take a breath, right? Don't respond. There is a possibility that the Supreme Court will reverse the previous decision around the Roe versus Wade decision giving women unrestricted access to abortion. Now, I have made no secret of the fact that I am pro-life, and it breaks my heart that less than 15 miles from where I'm standing in Boulder, it's an abortion destination location. Last year, over 130 full-term babies were aborted for no other reason than they just, their moms didn't want them. 15 miles from where I'm standing. Now, if you're still with me, today is not the day I'm gonna debate abortion with you. Here is the reality. There are a lot of Christians who are celebrating because they are hoping things are moving in what they say is a good direction and away from abortion. But here's my question. What are we moving towards? See, we didn't win anything if all we are known for is what we're against. If we're gonna make efforts to take something away from somebody, what efforts are we going to make to offer something better. Here's what's about to happen. It's already, it's already happened if you're watching social media or the news. The world is going to look at the church and go, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do to help us and help me? And the me here, moms, is this young mom out there, or old mom, whatever, who's in a crisis pregnancy and doesn't want to do. And Christians, if your response, if your answer is, that's not my problem, they shouldn't have gotten pregnant, then please hear, write this down, then shut up. Because if you're against abortion and not for moms and babies, I'll quote Jesus when he talked to religious people who said, you use all your power. Let's, let's just quote Jesus. Look at this, all right? You travel, he's talking to religious people. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, like to your, persuade them to believe what you do. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a, ch a child of hell as you are. That's King Jesus talking there. Flat on if Jesus is, is our king, then this next gen passion that we are running after has to extend all the way down to preborn babies and their moms. We have to start loving like our King Jesus. Now you can respond, yeah. right? I think I've peed off both sides of the aisle. I don't, I don't, all right, I don't care. Don't vote for me. I, I, all right, right, so. <laughs> Let me land this, okay? If you claim that Jesus is your, is your king, what's in your pocket? Right? And by that, what other kings are in your life that you are holding on to, putting faith in? What other things other than God are you worshiping, counting on, that that'll take care of me? And, and you know your king is commanding you, drop it, divest yourself of it. It has to go, not because I don't want you to have something, but I want you to experience something better, me, King Jesus. I'll be even more direct. What's going on in your life, and you don't have to pray about this, it's gonna come right to your head, that is in conflict with Jesus being your king? What is Jesus telling you, not me, but through his Holy Spirit, what is Jesus telling you needs to happen in that part of your life? And please hear this. Jesus won't, King Jesus won't command you to do anything that he also won't step in and help you do it. That would just be mean. 
But what is King Jesus commanding you to do different in your life that he says, I'll give you the power to do it? And what's your response to King Jesus? Argue with him, justify it, minimize, not big deal, or repent. I gotta rethink this if Jesus is king. How about this, all right? No matter who you are, what you do for a living, Monday through Saturday, here's something that's true. You live your life in public, right? Moms, you know that. You have no privacy, right? Here's my life, right? You live, and you also, you have an agenda. You, there's some things that you want to see done, specific things done, right? And you have a following, there's some people in this world that call you leader. They call you mom. They call you dad. They call you grandma, grandpa, whatever that is. They call you teacher. They call you coach. They call you boss, which means you have power. What are you using your power for? Yourself or the powerless? And what? What would change? What would your marriage begin to look like? Your family, your relationship with your, with your parents, your with your kids, what would your business, your, what would your team begin to resemble if you used the power that Jesus has given to you, has shared with you to bring hope to the hopeless and love to forgotten people and peace to those in the storm? And I think the answer is this, then the world would finally know because the world is watching you and it would conclude something like this. I'm not sure about church. I don't like church, okay? I don't either, really. I like this one, this, all right? I'm not sure about religion. Oh, me either. I just came back from the religious capital of the world. I'm not even sure about the Bible. I understand some crazy stuff in there. So I don't know about any of that stuff. I would like to know more about Jesus because you're different. Like your house is different. Your marriage is different than what I got. Your, the way you interact with your kids is different. The, the way I go to the substance and you used to go to substance, but you don't go to substance anymore. I, I would like to know more about Jesus. Please don't make me go to church. Just, can I just, can you tell me about Jesus? And your response is, he's my, he's my king. Because this is what happens. Not when you believe the correct things. Everybody in here say they believe the correct right things. Same thing, right? Not when you sing the, the right songs. Not when you go to the right church, whatever that means. This is what happened when we follow King Jesus. That's what I'd like to spend the rest of my life. Building a community of King Jesus. So where does it start? Jesus is king of everything. He's king of the universe. All things hold together. One day he will split the sky and he'll come back. But where does it start today? We're gonna sing this song called King of My Heart. They weren't gonna sing it. I said, can you sing it? They said, yes, you're the boss. And so, uh, so I, I wanna change some language in our church. Um, did you know that the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart, it's not in the Bible? Well, it's a sinner's prayer. I don't know where, I don't know where, right? Um, we ask Jesus to come into our marriage and come into our family, blah, blah, blah. Let's stop doing that. How about this? I'm not asking you to come into mine, all right? I would like to take my marriage and put it in you. I'd like to take my future and put it in Jesus. I'm not asking Jesus to come into my sexuality. I'm taking my sexuality and I'm gonna put it in Jesus going, listen, it's, it's a mess. Can you do anything with it? Because I, I have made a mess of it. My finances, I'm not gonna ask Jesus, what should I do? I'm gonna get my money and go, hey, Jesus, what should I do with that? Here's my kids. They are not really my kids. You've entrusted me. I put my kids in Jesus. Put my marriage in Jesus. Hey, I'm not asking you to come to step program with me, Jesus. I'm gonna put my addiction in Jesus. Put my past in Jesus. I'm gonna put my present in Jesus. I'm gonna put my future in Jesus. He's my, he's my king. What would happen? 
All our campuses, let's stand up together. I, I wanna, I, I wanna, I wanna pray. And I, here's what, when I say I, I wanna pray, I wanna lead us in prayer, but here's the thing. I can pray for you. I can't pray instead of you. And so if my words give you words to have your own conversation with King Jesus, then just make them your own. Does that make sense? Okay, so listen to me. You shouldn't send me overseas. This is what happens. So Father God, King Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all, we submit ourselves to you. We don't just believe in you. We follow you. We obey you. We surrender to you. We lay down everything. So it starts with our heart. So I know what it means to ask you into my heart. How about you can have my, you can have my heart. You can have my mind. You can have my, my soul. You can have my, my strength, my body. You can have my kids. You can have my parents. You can have, you can have my hatred and my lack of forgiveness. I put those in Jesus because I can't carry him any longer. Be the king of my life. Be the king of my heart. Be the king of all all my life. Be the king of this church. And you deserve it. You deserve worship and you deserve honor. You're the name above all names. There is none like you. None like you. Because no one has loved us like you have. No one has sacrificed for us like you have sacrificed. No one has given their life for us in the way that you gave your life for us. We've been worshiping the wrong things. We now reserve all our worship for you, King Jesus. And it's in your name I pray, amen.